days are grey and dreary, and the nights are drawing in. There's a place that's gay and cheery where they'll take you for a spin. So come on, forget your trouble, keep your eyes on the skies above. You can always have it all at the Female Hello and welcome to the Female Pilot Club podcast. If you don't know us, we're a plucky band of lumpy jumpers helping female-written sitcom scripts take off and fly against the almost insurmountable odds presented by the TV commissioning system. And if you do know us, we're a bunch of stroppy women persuading brilliant comedy actors to read funny scripts out loud in a club for laughs. I'm Wing Commander Kay Stonham. This is Captain Abigail Burdez. Why do I have to be a captain? Isn't Captain lower than Wing Commander? <laughs> That's exactly why you have to Okay, fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And not on this flight is our resident actor and trolley dolly, Emily Chase. Unfortunately, a scaly brat popped out of her underpart and into her twilights, so we've had to give her a kitchen pass for this episode. That means she's had a baby. So, yeah, that's that slang. <laughs> Onwards, in the pilot seat this week, we have the amazing Janice Hallett. Um, now, Janice was our very first pilot. And she is here to talk about her brilliant sitcom, Two Ladies. And while she's here, we may just mention her phenomenally successful book, The Appeal. That might that might come it up. Might, it might come up. But no, we'll see. <laughs> so, Janice, take off your foggles, loosen your straps, let's have a beer call and shoot the breeze. Chin, chin, pip, pip. Last one to the nappies, a hop snooker. Yee! Pilot Club. <laughs> love the slang, I love it. Um, so Janice, right. Um, now, hello. Janice has been a ma- magazine journalist. I'm going to do a big intro for you before you get to say hello in a small voice. So, Janice, <laughs> you've been a magazine journalist. You worked for the Cabinet Office. You wrote the feature film The Retreat, starring Killian Murphy. Um, and among other plays, you've written Shakespearean stage comedy Netherbard. And now you have written this very successful crime novel. The Appeal. How many weeks at number one is it now, Janice? Five weeks consecutive. Yeah. Wow, yep. amazing. <laughs> Five consecutive weeks at number one in the, is that Times Paperback? The Times Paperback uh, fiction list. Hooray. So, um, but Janice came to Female Pilot Club and did Two Ladies, as we say. So Janice, I mean, we at Female Pilot Club obviously know all about your cracking script, Two Ladies, but the people on the home front glued to their wirelesses don't know anything about it. So This, this slang is going to continue. This is, <laughs> I, I'm just going to carry on with it regardless. She you know, loves it. She loves it. So can you do for, as I said, the people on the home front, uh, what we call a parachute pitch for your show? So this is the scenario. The plane is going up in flames. There's only one parachute which you are wearing. But as you leave the plane, the commissioning editor of BBC One jumps out and grabs onto your legs. So he or indeed she can't get away and you have time it takes for your doubly weighted parachute. This is a big setup. So hit the ground to pitch your show. Go! Go, 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 go. Uh, Two Ladies is um, a sitcom about a woman whose husband dies and uh, she discovers that the only way she can stay in the beloved marital home is if his a mistress moves in too. The mistress she knew nothing about until he died. Woo! <laughs> 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 now I've kicked him off and I, I'm just floating down. <laughs> I'm sure you couldn't help but say yes under those circumstances, obviously. Well, we'd commission that, and in fact we did, for our very first reading, and here's the brilliant Tracy Ann Oberman playing Annabelle, doing a mini eulogy for her husband, he's just died. 
On the day he died, he sat on that bench and he lit one cigarette from the other and he said, Annabelle. <laughs> Annabelle, I want to stop this more than anything in the world, but I can't. I'm a wretched, weak, spineless shadow of a man. That is what I loved about him. <laughs> it's a very funny sitcom, but it's very much kind of in the tradition of, like, Big Laughs, studio. It works almost as a stage play, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, we thought that's one of the reasons we loved it. Mm-hmm. And... There seem to be fewer and fewer of these kind of um, studio sitcom things. Are, are you a big fan of studio sitcom? Or? I am. I'm a big fan of all sorts of sitcoms. Um, but yeah, it is a kind of dying art. Um, it seems to be declining in taste and declining in, in writers who want to write that kind of comedy. But it is brilliant if you can nail it. It's yeah. just fantastic. I mean, the thing about make, yeah, the thing about doing studio stuff is the is that you've got to get a laugh in the room, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's that thing that you have to make sure that everybody is looking at the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Is that because your your script's incredibly well structured? Loads of callbacks, everything. All the setups are great. Um, you know, are there any great studio sitcoms which inspired you? Oh goodness! Um, well, I come from the old school of. Um, sitcoms I was raised on Forty Towers and Are You Being Served and Dad's Army, all of the classics so there was a real ground in there but I also watched reruns of Monty Python when I was quite young Mm. and things like the goodies really crazy stuff that Mm. perhaps didn't conform to the things I saw with my parents Um, then things like Blackadder and The Young Ones came along and that was my baptism of fire in my teenage years so I had a real eclectic comedy background if you like so mm. I felt that I, I incorporated all sorts of mm. different sort of facets of that in things that I write mm. although Two Ladies is quite traditional but all of them interestingly things that have big laughs you know they do yep. go for the big laughs rather than that kind of I don't know that kind of quite um, the dark smile or the sort of knowing wink that we get from a lot of sitcoms now a lot of comedy now it doesn't go for big laughs does it the naturalistic the naturalistic kind of comedy that, and that the we comedy love. of embarrassment yeah. or yeah. the stuff that we've been used to seeing since the 90s and I think that's one of the things when we're looking for scripts for Female Pilot Club we do look for sitcoms that have big laughs because we're in a room because we have to get the laughs in the room and your sitcom certainly got the laughs as you could hear there great clip by the way brilliant clip um we've got some really big laughs and so while we're talking about that i'm just wondering did you what did you get from from your experience of having two ladies read at female pilot club that was the first time i'd ever heard it performed so it was a completely magical oh, evening. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> There's nothing compares to when you've written something and you've spent so much time on it. Nothing compares to hearing actual actors read it out or perform it. It's, well, it's a baptism of fire, but it's better than that. It's absolutely wonderful. I can't really describe it. You have to, um, you have to really experience it to, to know. And the flip side of that is it could be horrific. It could, because you always know that it you, it could be so bad, but so when it's good, it's even better. So was there like a level of anxiety leading yes. up to the night? Definitely, yeah. We knew, you, we, we knew. knew you were going to get laughs. laughs. We knew it was going to be funny. And, and were you excited by the by the people who we had? Oh, reading? it was wonderful, and to yeah, to hear their their beautiful voices, professional actors, just speak so well, and when they these wonderful voices read your words, um, it's nothing like it. Yeah. I mean, Tracy Ann Oberman. Really, she really, she she really nailed it. She oh, was yeah. so funny. And, and Arabella Weir. 
I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and I loved Anna Crilly's yeah, character. She was, well. she was Is it Kaz or is that Kaz? Yes, yeah, best Kaz. friend. Yeah, yeah, the best mate. Um, and lawyer Phil, the wonderful Robert Webb. Very funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've got another clip here, uh, which is Amma Chada Patel and uh, Tracy Ann Overman. I love this clip because it's it's showing how neatly you can do the setup and how you can make the setup work for you as uh, a joke. How are you, Annabelle? Oh, build a film. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say at a time like this. I know. House still being repossessed? Shh, I don't know. Although lawyer Phil keeps trying to tell me. The rest remember George as a high flyer, so let's just keep it that way as long as we can. No chance of business picking up? None at all. I suppose there isn't. No, there isn't. What about the... Uh... No, not that either. <laughs> so did I, but it's not possible. Everything's gone, the business, the home, all our money. There is nothing left here, just, just what's in here. She shakes the cash box, a few coins rattle. So long as everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just showing us how neatly you can set up a whole load of information, just include it in a joke. Yeah, and those of us who, you know, started as gag writers and, like, we all we both did and sketch yeah. writers are just loving the structure of those gags. They're just delightful to read and oh, to listen to. You. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about Two Ladies and how it started out and is it getting made? It's not getting made and, interestingly, it's a bit of a cautionary tale, really, for, for all writers because I wrote it um, about 2016 and it was optioned by Retort, um for about a year but as soon as they optioned it um the sitcom mum started phenomenally successful so um it was uh, two ladies was deemed too similar to that how is it similar to mum because they both start off with uh, a woman uh, losing her husband husband. yeah considered similar not at all similar and also written by a man indeed indeed Uh, time went on and um then the other one was made now that's uh, the same situation. Two families discovering their father had the si- had yeah, two yeah, families. Two and although it concentrates on the sisters, mm. uh, it is really too similar to two ladies again. So, with the best will in the world, and it's nobody's fault. Um, other people can be writing on a similar idea to you. They yeah. can be, but I, you know, I can't escape the the feeling that it's female subjects which get submitted to the most scrutiny about um, subject matter crossing over. I know Georgia Prichett's been saying mm-hmm. recently that every single broadcaster and production company that she's spoken to has said we've got something with a woman in it to her yeah. at some point yeah. in her career and let's face it, you know, there are lots of there are lots of shows where women get killed, there are lots of shows where women get raped but suddenly mm-hmm. when it's a you know, Very when it's written true. by a woman and when it's... What about you know, a bit of comedy killing and raping? Oh, no, we've got we've had Killing Eve. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Well, of course. We can't do that anymore, either. <laughs> and Eve is written by a man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's yeah. a shame, I must yeah. say. That is an absolute shame. Because it's got a great setup. It's this kind of... It's kind of like a blithe spirit, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a modern blithe spirit yeah. sort of reworking. But it's also it's got like um, Abigail's party elements to it, isn't it? Which I particularly love. You know, Annabelle is is you know straight up Mike Lee in many ways, isn't yes. she? She's a great character. Um, and we've got that brilliant thing that we know what Annabelle's going to find out from the beginning of the episode, and then eventually we we start to find out. Um, and she's going to meet the other woman, and we've got a great clip 
um, of Annabelle meeting the other woman. Trees are poems the earth writes upon the sky. <laughs> you are. Khalil Gibran, the Lebanese poet. Oh, nice to meet you. I'm Annabelle. <laughs> Makes me laugh every single time. Such <laughs> a silly joke. I know. And then we just it, it get, it's great, and then it keep, keeps on getting repeated every time. It got a massive laugh, didn't it? I mean, I love the callbacks, and I love a repeated joke, so it got me every single time. But then, with an audience, that is, it does work, doesn't it? There's something about comedy um, that works on recognition. Yes. And sometimes it works when you recognise the experience that's being shown to you and other times when you recognize something from earlier in that script or earlier in that show yeah. it also yeah. works i don't know quite what that is no i don't know and it gets incrementally more funny as time goes on doesn't it but the more you I recognize mean, yeah, yeah exactly are there similarities in writing crime so i think you've done something quite similar in the appeal i'm halfway through it i haven't finished it so don't tell me what happens don't <gasps> right. tell me what happens no spoilers <laughs> <laughs> so exciting and so the format of the appeal is very uh, interesting in that you in much the same way that you kind of controlled the reveals in two ladies so in in two ladies you there's that first of all we're waiting for the protag to find out that her husband was having an affair but then there's an extra twist so you've got these kind of nested twists mm. in the mm. same way when you're structuring crime yeah. isn't mm -hmm. is that right yeah absolutely yeah. So we, I just we were just wondering if you're thinking about is are there similarities between writing comedy, which is highly structured, and writing crime, which is highly structured? Yes, uh, very similar. But the main difference is the greater size of the novel, because when you're writing comedy, you're you're writing between twenty and thirty pages of script, which is lovely and airy, and you can you can write it quickly, you can revise it quickly, you can go through it several times in a day and get a real good sense of how the whole hangs together and where the, the twists come in that. When you're writing a novel, not only does it take um, infinitely longer to get that first draft together, you can't keep it all in your head. It's very mm, difficult. Mm. You can't go through it. Um, the appeal would take me, by the end of it, four days to go through from start to finish. Wow. So getting your head around the mm. whole lot is a real um, structural feat. Uh, mm. but, but having the experience of having written comedy... Uh, really worked in my favour, I think, doing the appeal because I had that experience of doing it on a small level and very mm. tightly. Mm. So when it, I expanded into a novel, it was a good it was a good background. Have you read John York's book about um, writing Into the Woods? I haven't yet. It's on my list. It's a good one. Out of all of the sort of structure writing books, that's my favourite. My favourite is Linda Aronson. She's an Australian TV writer and she concentrates on alternative structures. Very, very analytical and no anecdotes. I don't like the ones that have anecdotes. They just piss me off. <laughs> the name dropping ones. Yeah, and the name dropping ones. I can't stand. I mean, I don't think John York is the worst. No, for he's no, not. No, he's not. He doesn't yeah. do that. But, he's um, very, he's very nerdy. He is, he's yeah, full he's on nerd out. Analytical. Yeah. But um, yeah, I like Linda Aronson. Check her out. Uh, but he he has a sort of theory, which is that he just so he describes um, detective fiction as two dimensional fiction, which it sounds reductive, but it's well, he's he basically saying because the protag of the detective doesn't change their personality, doesn't change their character, doesn't change their only the changes are change in knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so they don't go through a transformative arc like they do in yeah. some other yeah. in some other. So the arc is a knowledge arc rather than a 
emotional arc. They're sort of helping the, yeah. the viewer, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, the changes in the world because mm. they solve the problem rather than in themselves. Yeah, yeah. which and, is, which is put, like comedy. Yeah, which yeah. Is, there are similarities, aren't there, mm. in, in terms of like yeah, the co- comic structure. Because we're t- we were having loads of arguments, weren't we, about always, <laughs> always, <laughs> always. <laughs> constant arguments about whether or not you need a how much a comic protagonist does change. Yeah, it's a tricky one because if they change so much that they're no longer funny, that's wrong. That's it. That's yeah, and you've gone wrong. Yeah, they have to still be funny even if you give them an arc. Yeah. So yeah, the because um, all the traditional sitcoms that we watched as, as children, they never changed at all. It reset itself totally by the beginning of the next episode. Yeah, the plots were totally circular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I think it's a it's constant wrangling in the UK about whether or not sitcoms can have arcs or not. I mean, I know I had it with my radio sitcom when I didn't really even understand what an arc was, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I didn't. I was a self-taught writer. I didn't really know what everyone was talking about. But I wanted there to be change in the characters, and I was constantly told you you know they can't change they can't have a baby halfway through the series and things like that and I always thought that was a bit I don't know I thought that was a bit reductive but now I understand it a lot more but I think there's a difference between comedy films isn't there and and sitcoms and sitcoms you've got to reset every week and so the comic characters don't change but comedy protagonists in films they do change don't they they if you think of like knocked up or you know those kind of comedies. Groundhog Day, my favourite. Groundhog Day, yeah, they do. They do change. They, oh, change. they don't. Yeah, they change, but they don't. Like a really good comic protagonist won't change their sort of essential nature. Like in, I think in, I don't know in Groundhog Day. Well, like, they learn, don't they? They learn something. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, mm. it depends what you think the purpose. Not to be really pointy-headed about it. Hello, boffins. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> this is what you tuned in for. Uh, the purpose of comedy <laughs> is actually, I think you're fine. Um, it's reassurance, isn't it, that human frailties exist in all times, and it's it's a, we watch comedy to forgive ourselves, don't we? To yeah, to say it's okay. We are all vain. We are all yeah. proud. We all have. We all fuck up. We all we? fuck up. Yeah. We all have these horrible bits of ourselves and that, that we could put our arms around in comedy. Like you know, yeah. Annabelle is awful. Your protest. She's an awful. Oh, she's horrible. She's all, but hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But um, but she's kind of going towards that kind of comic archetype of she's like a diva, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. yeah a she? bit like um, Margot in The Good Life. Yeah. Although yeah. She loves to hate them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So she has that those elements of snobbery. So she's or yeah. or um, faulty towers you mentioned. Yeah. 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 There's a there's a strong John Cleese bit yeah, to her elements isn't there so this is quite an interesting question really is you i don't know how many episodes you've got or what your sort of treatment is like for for two ladies but i mean would annabelle have changed as a protagonist were you going to have an arc for her would she have learned yes i well my plans for the series had i you know had had mum not be made or had the other one not be made <laughs> um was to look at each episode as one um stage of grief and if I'm right, that shock. The first episode was called Shock. Mm. The second one, Anger. I think the third one... Um, Is there Denial? Bargaining. Denial, denial, negotiating, yeah. bargaining, and finally Resolution. So they were all titled that. Um, and Amy oh, and Annabelle. that's good, isn't it? <laughs> Very good. She is an intellectual. Well, that, links in, that, is, that links in absolutely to Groundhog Day, where that that is structured explicitly mm. over the five stages of grief. Oh. His, his arc really? instructed yeah okay. yeah the wow. guy who danny Ru- rubin who wrote oh, it what's said he, what's he grieving about um he, his loss of 
the future because he stays in he stays in one day Ah, and so okay. it's like yes. he's stuck so it's yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway sorry carry on yeah so that was how i was uh, looking at the entire series and by the end of it they would the two women who were forced to live together would have sort of come to a resolution that they had to live together and they have to there's something that they have to learn really to to get through and to and that perhaps um their living together was something that their um, deceased husband wanted all along he wanted mm. them to both learn mm. from each other so is but, the does the ghost li- appear does the dead husband he does he appears to annabelle ah mm. but not to the other not well he might have done at one point i did have mm. um thought at one point he could be seen but as the bbc Amy. one commissioner cried to you just before you kicked him <laughs> off <laughs> on your parachute what about what about series two Exactly. Yeah. What about series two? <laughs> <laughs> but that is what, what series two. That's, that is what they always do, isn't it? It's like plot series two. I've been watching um, Younger. Have you seen Younger? It's almost half soap, half sitcom, mm-hmm. where they they do have arcs. So in that, because there's a secret to be revealed. So the the concept there is that she's 15 years older than she's pretending to be, and so at the end of every series, somebody else finds out essentially. So part of the tension is resolved. So they have to find another way to screw up the te- you know to create tension. Um, but that's that follow is following an arc in um, the kind of way that we're quite often asked to and I was thinking about for your do you know what I mean Mm. we're we're Mm. asked to have these kind of what have you got for series two what have you got for series three Mm. how how will you maintain the essential comic premise whilst changing what happens do you know what I mean it is a difficult delicate it is difficult you could for a series two of two ladies um just hopefully he can still hear me as he's plunged into (laughs) the earth too late he's splattered Um. on the floor I thought dead isn't now. There, dead. <laughs> isn't there stages to build to a new relationship? Like, ah, like there are stages to grief. Perhaps mm. uh, series two could have been um, building that new relationship, either the two women with each other, or the women with other men or with other partners. Yeah. Lawyer Phil, builder Phil, Lawyer come Phil back builder. into the picture. There we go. There We've we already go. got them there. Yeah, <laughs> ready made. You mentioned there. Um, a little bit about how writing books compares to writing um, sitcom and and screenplay. How does it compare to writing screenplay? Is that screenplay? Is it is it different? It's not hugely different, except with a screenplay, it ends. Um, so you are looking at a story as a whole, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, and that's quite nice. I wouldn't say it's easier, um, but there are certain elements that are easier to it that you you have got this story. Whereas with um, TV and with sitcom, you have a very open-ended, yeah. possibilities are open-ended. Um, so it's quite satisfying to have a story that yeah. begins, develops, is complicated and then is resolved and and ends extremely unhappily as <laughs> Retreat did. I don't know whether you've seen it. I won't spoil it for you. But you won't be laughing very much while it's on. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I mean, I've got to bring this up, Janice. You and I did the same MA in screenwriting. We did, didn't we? How didn't many we? years apart? Uh, I did the I've very got a first one. Feeling that um, I was about two or three two years. Two years, like a two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. me, and Lenny Henry. Indeed, yeah. Lenny Henry was the year after me. Mm. I'm not saying we were the only three people who did it. Obviously, no. there were other people. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just that wanted to drop, yes. drop Lenny Henry's yeah. name, like those people yeah. who you've been slagging off <laughs> earlier on in the podcast. <laughs> 
Lenny I'm Henry. just saying that, you know, comedy people <laughs> did that masters. Because I was just impressed by the way you were talking about it. And I was thinking, going back to what I was saying before, about I didn't know anything. I never knew what anyone was talking about ever. Really, until I did that masters and encountered screenwriting theory, and and were, were you the same? Were you a writer and then did the masters and encountered all that kind of conceptual stuff? I'd been a journalist, and I hadn't. I was. I'd given that up, but I was sort of feeling around to see what else I might do, and then I applied for the course we did, which was the retreat course. Yeah, wasn't it? We did um, separate weeks rather we than going we to did. the course every week, um, and that appealed to me. But when I went for my interview. I hadn't. I'd never even read a script. I mean, it didn't even occur to me to read one. And I remember asking Sue. <laughs> You're worse than me, literally. I'm, I I'm glad like, to know that. I said, was, "Is it just the dialogue that you write down then, or is it everything?" And I was completely clueless. Wow. And I'm amazed that I even got on the course. I had written plays then, but I, as you know, um, stage plays tend to be just dialogue, very little stage direction. That's the uh, that's um, the director's job. It's the director's it? job, yeah, and the, and they yeah. work with the actors, so you don't have to worry too much about the mm. stage direction. I was clueless with film script, but as soon as I started writing it, I fell in love with it, and yeah. I've watched loads of films. I must have watched two or three a day for months to try and get myself up to speed with what I had to know to do the course and then to hopefully, as I hoped, work in, work in the industry. And then you must have got one made pretty quickly after that, it seems. Yeah, I started working with Carl, the director of Retreat, um, during the MA, so it's a two-year MA. It must have been about after about a year. I started working with him then. It took us about three years to get that made. That's um, pretty good. It's not, he'd it's already, it is pretty damn good, actually. He'd already been working on it for two years before he, he got me on board. Right. Um, so it was five years gestation for that and then wow. why no more screenplays after that we we definitely tried um if carl is listening to this he will be shaking his head i know because we we continued working together for years on um numbers of ideas in the 50s numbers of, for um films um couldn't get one made Sorry, numbers of ideas in the fifties. I don't understand. Oh, sorry. Do you mean oh, more than fifty films? Oh, okay. What? And oh my god! Really? <gasps> yeah, we worked on them together, wow. trying to get all psych- mostly anyway psychological thrillers. Well, blow the dust off those, Janet, <laughs> because now you've written the appeal. I'm guessing that are they, producers they may are be well be in demand. Beating the way crossed. to your door. I think we suffered from the film industry. Um, I think Retreat got the last um, of that generation of psychological thrillers, mm. British thrillers, fairly low budget. Um, it was the last in that generation. And after that, it's very, very difficult to get films of that level uh, off the ground. Also, there's this thing in the film industry that a lot of people know about, which is that they have, like, a lot of people have a, an extreme uh, allergy to lady parts. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Could have been your lady parts. Could, could have been, been the old yeah. lumpy jumper. It could have been the lumpy jumper yeah. that was getting in the way. Yes. It often does. But though that's true. That I think we were talking earlier about um, the Writers Guild research, which shows that you know quite a lot of women get one film made, but then mm. the proportion of female writers to male writers who get two films made is much much smaller, and three films made really very small indeed. So mm. I think you know it is the film industry is still difficult. Very female difficult. writers and definitely yeah. directors. Yeah. I mean, one thing doesn't lead to another, unfortunately, no. even though it should. I think that's quite interesting. I talk to like quite a lot of female writers who've had this sort of incredible success in different fields. And because they've had to just try something else. Keep starting, like, ag- keep starting again, keep, really, basically. Yeah, and, yeah. and go after doing. And I mean, 
you were saying about it's really satisfying to end a story mm-hmm. when you're writing a screenplay or when you're writing a novel, presumably. Mm-hmm. But do you not find, uh, do you find writing a novel lonelier? Yes, very lonely. It's just you and the page for weeks <laughs> on end and months on end. And sometimes I go back and I read what I've written over the last six weeks and it takes me three minutes to read it. And I think that's not fair. That should take me at least an hour to read what I've been working on for like two months. It's a very lonely job and you have to, I think, um, play tricks on yourself to keep you going and to keep you um, fresh and happy doing it. What sort of tricks on yourself? What do you mean? I occasionally listen to music Um, in the middle of writing. I'll stop and listen to music to stimulate me. I'll pick up a pen and start writing things by hand because I find that links me to something in childhood you know when you're um, free and you're Mm. not um, you know you you can just pick up a pen and draw or write and you're not inhibited at all I think writing with a pen can link you to those feelings and to that flow Mm. that gets me writing again Mm. I, I often do that when I'm just stuck with a script I just get out the pad and start writing and it it feels like a joyous release and a return it's lovely isn't it it's worth trying if you're a writer well we're talking that's quite interesting yeah Um, about writing technique I was thinking about um, when you were talking earlier about the novel did you I mean how much did you know exactly what was going to happen did you structure the novel really fully before you started in the way that you would a screenplay write a treatment etc a beat sheet did you do all of that no it's a real confession oh wow no I mean with um the appeal I had in my head um an idea that I would like to do a tv series about small community uh, a couple that arrives in a small community and they think there's something a bit off about a fundraising appeal going on in this community. That was all I had in my head. I thought that would be a great... When you read the book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. But that was all. When I, I um, decided to write a novel instead of the TV version of it, I just closed down Final Draft one day, opened up Word, wrote the date at the top and set off. <gasps> So and you literally was, went on that journey. Yeah, and that with date is nothing. still there. It's one of the early letters in the in the book. Oh my god! Twenty seventh of February. Um, yeah. I think we've actually got um, our resident actor, Emily Chase. Emily Chase reading Ooh. from your oh, book, The Appeal. Um, if that's all right, that's absolutely wonderful. Okay. In this extract from The Appeal, a community fundraiser is trying to get a musician to work for free. Obviously, getting artists to work for free is something we at the Female Pilot Club frown upon, unless it's for us and we're aware that she's lying about a child's disability in pursuit of the free gig. Nigel, this is no ordinary booking. Little Poppy is fast losing her eyesight and they want her to enjoy this spectacular evening's entertainment before she goes blind. Little Poppy has fallen in love with the picture of Tony in his sparkly pink suit on the cover of the CD and we are all desperate for her to see him in the flesh before she sinks into darkness. The funds simply can't afford to pay you the full fee. It just can't. Please, Nigel, can you make an exception this one time? Just this once. For little Poppy. Sarah Jane MacDonald. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so, as, in your book, there are some very funny bits, aren't there? there are Hopefully. Very, yeah. And Hopefully. dark. Dark funny. Very, very dark. dark yeah. Right. Very dark. I mean, breaking all the rules that we learnt mm. on our... MA screenwriting course I've got to say and presumably all the rules that you get on a creative writing course you just set off 
yes. with nothing in mind and nothing. out it all came. Out it came and oh, not really, wow. well, not that I thought how it would um, unfold anyway, but not how I thought it would unfold. I have to say, though, doing that, I didn't know what I'd let myself in for. I didn't think I'd still be writing a year later, mm. <laughs> but I was. I, I just finished it in, in the year. So it took you a year to write the book? One whole year. 364 days but then i mean it's so complex isn't it mm. like the plotting is so complex so the the structure is that you don't know you don't know what the crime is to begin with indeed so there's a whole tension that you don't know what the crime is i'm assuming it's at the midpoint i'm about i'm nearly halfway through anyway I'm, <laughs> anyway um but you don't know what the crime is and then you read everybody's emails and you have to work it out for yourself what who did what so it's a, it's a, just a really great hook. Um, and the it's set as if it's an appeal where two lawyers are meant to be reading it. And then you see their text messages in between going, oh, have you got up to this bit yet? As if just as if you are reading it as well. So you've got this great kind of audience proxy with the two lawyers yeah. chatting yeah. about it. Yeah, it's fab. It's absolutely fab. And it's set in um, Amdram. Oh, I love that Amateur setting. drama. I yeah. love that setting. Yeah, so it's got yeah, that sort of Miss Marple kind yeah. of feel of a small yeah. village where everybody's got secrets and everybody's yeah. mucking things up in their mm. own special ways. So um, in a way, would it, would it be right to suggest that perhaps the reason that people don't know what the crime is that when you started, you didn't know what the crime was? Indeed, yeah, I didn't oh, know at all. What a great way to yeah. write a book. That's didn't brilliant. Know. That's so fun. <laughs> that is so fun. But I did know that we were we wouldn't hear from some of the main characters because although we see all these letters, there's some key characters we never Missing, hear yeah. from. And you're like, what are they saying? Yeah. Are they so? There's one who's like, there's one character who's of really really good friends with another character, and she's constantly going, yeah, we're best mates, we're best mates, and you're just <laughs> you're just going, that other person is does not respond, <laughs> in kind, and yeah, is that is that fair? Yeah, yeah. yes, okay. it's very fair. So yeah. I am so looking forward to reading it. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I know, I'm, I know I'm going to enjoy it. And the only reason I've got to say here that I haven't read it is because so many of my friends have written books this year. <laughs> but literally, you know, there's a waiting list in my reading slots. Uh, and I feel horribly jealous of all of them because, you know, you've all written books and I haven't written a book. Oh, oh, well, you have yeah. to get, get on with it. Yeah. Pull your finger out, Kate. You know what? I know Every that day. it's a great thing to do. I do know that it's a great thing to do. But I just, I don't think I've got the... You know, that bandwidth to sit and be in my chair for a year that you've just described. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I think I was a comedy writer or I'm a comedy writer for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'm just better at short things. I don't know. Pilot Club. Do you think that you could talk a bit about uh, writing, going back to screenplays and mm -hmm. TV writing, about writing action? Because you do it very, very well. And a lot of the scripts that we get submitted are people don't necessarily know how to do it so writing action my tips for writing action would be i always slow it down and think what are we seeing what is actually happening on screen and i'll describe exactly what happened stage by stage and then if that's too long i'll look at what i've got and try and say it in as few words as possible so that how you read it plays out in real time so if if, uh, if the action is happening quickly you have to be able to read it quickly if it's something that's happening slowly you read it slowly so you have a sense of timing mm. over what's happening that's that's my key tip with action that is a great tip because i think a lot of Perfect. the scripts that we read i mean i also teach and i 
a lot of the student writers and new writers, what they do is they have like rims of action which slow up and completely ruin the pace of the script. And so I think that's a, a brilliant tip. I mean, I think, yeah, I think few words as possible is yep. absolutely great. And do you read them out loud? I personally don't do that. I know a lot of writers who do. I do re- repeat it and read it in my head an awful lot, hundreds mm. of times sometimes. But did you notice that you got quite a lot of laughs on your action <laughs> yes. in, in the reading, which is great, isn't it? Cause... Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things about the Female Pilot Club is that we do read stage directions. And it's actually, I think it's one of the things that's most useful for writers because... That when you do a read through in a room in front of commissioners, you do have to read the action, and uh, and then quite often writers, I think some writers forget to make the stage directions funny or the action <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, it has to be. You got some great laughs for just just what people were doing and the way you described what people were doing. Yeah, yeah. I think we've I got think we've got one, haven't we? We've got I a clip of maybe that. Maybe a clip of that. The moment at which Annabelle discovers her husband was cheating on her with the wonderful Anna Crilly providing the punchline here. Sorry, George had a mistress. Oh, I must say it's a relief not to have to pretend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, my fucking God. You said you knew. No, I knew he rented a flat. I thought that was for us after the house was repossessed, for fuck's sake. Did none of you think to tell me? After 26 years, he was about to trade me in for a younger model. A bit of fucking tail, and you were all too chicken shit to mention it. We didn't want to spoil the day. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. There's so many great callbacks in your your script, and and, then so many great lines. Um, And that's definitely one of the things that we look for in a script for Female Pilot Club is managing to escalate the action, you know, ramping it up. And again, we find a lot of scripts don't really understand, a lot of writers don't understand how to escalate that comic action. So you do it, again, really, really well. Your comic climax is fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Thank you. Do you consciously escalate? Do you think about that? I, I don't think I think about it while I'm writing, but when I'm reading back you always have to be working towards a, a big event yeah i think when you've only got 20 to 30 minutes to play with there has to be a reason people are watching and there has to be you know something happening at the end of this so the big gag at the end is something i am always working towards well i think we we actually have a clip of a, certainly no, it's not quite at the end but it's you've, you've managed to go really quite a long way by the end of the, um, by, by this point in the, in the action. Yeah, quite a long way. This is the last one in Testament. There's your signed and witness affidavit from me. Here's the... But he peters off as the bailiffs are distracted. <clears throat> one by one, the guests stop dead as they see Annabelle, her dress hitched up, urinating copiously into George's urn. <laughs> <laughs> she shouts at it, we just can't... Yeah, who's laughing now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That got huge loss. And was there was there any bit of you that went, that's too far? No. Brilliant. It, it should Brilliant. have done, maybe, but no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, because we always tell people submitting to the club to really ask that question of yourself. How far can you go? Yeah. Can you go any further? Could you push this any further? I mean, I didn't feel like, because you did the, she's she wheezed in the urn 
and then she's got the wee in the urn. She doesn't know where to put the wee in the urn. And then there was a whole thing where the, the wee gets held by somebody else who's trying not to spill it. The manager's car phone warehouse has to hold, to hold the wee. Hold the wee. Yeah. <laughs> He's already been dry heaving just about the ashes. It was brilliant. It was all so climactic. I loved it. Loved yeah. it. Oh. it was very, very funny. And it was very well read. Pilot Club. Right, the female pilot club, very exclusive, very exclusive. We don't let just anybody in. No. We do, we let anybody in. Literally anyone. Literally anyone. Um, So you're very honoured to join. Uh, But which which female exponent of the comic arts uh, would you like to nominate to join the club? It can be a writer, a producer, a performer, or a stand-up from the history of comedy whose only crime was a lumpy jumper. I have thought of someone. Now, they are a female writer um, who's hidden in plain view. I think um, she co-wrote one of the most influential studio sitcoms of the present day. Um, Is it Connie Booth? Is it Connie Booth? Is it Connie Booth? No. Oh! No, it isn't. It's uh, everybody working in comedy, writing comedy, will cite this sitcom at some point and they'll be able to reel off the male writers whose careers were who went stratospheric after this um and still are today mostly it's um, lisa mayer <laughs> it is lisa mayer yes! <laughs> well lisa done mayer, <laughs> co-writer of the young ones and i had to google her to find out what else she'd done following this um a thing we were talking about about female writers not um their work not leading to more work uh, compared to their male counterparts and she's done a few things nothing that reached those heights of the young ones i think she wrote on the fast show and a, a few other films um but i, I think she deserves some uh, honorary membership of the female pilots we're club. letting her in she's yeah, in that is yeah. a great nomination that I've is got to say. she's still around let's try and get her on got to say, let's get her <laughs> yeah. on and in the tradition of um dropping names and achievements which i have just created literally today <laughs> on female i will say that i the reason i knew that was because i was in the young ones oh were you what oh, were you in you? the young no ones? way what were you Do i was i know i was i was on the neighbor um, I was a neighbour of the the four lads, um, mm-hmm. and some and they, and they came to I think Aid Edmondson it was came to borrow a cup of sugar okay. from me in the in the episode Cash. Oh, right. Right. I and do vaguely remember. Exchange of yeah, that, and then, and then I were you a sexy neighbour? Obviously, yeah. sexy oh, working class neighbour. Obviously, yeah. and then I had to sit on the sofa, and then I had to, and then I had to fart with two ghosts. <gasps> I remember, do you remember that? that on someone's severed head. <laughs> someone, so I had severed head yeah. on my lap, yeah. and then I had That's to right. fart in front of the TV, and my mother was mortified. Oh, she, I don't think she ever got over it. She said, "Why would you do that?" Literally. <laughs> Nobody else would have taken that part. This, I was like, Mum, this is a most cultish show on TV. Of course, other people would have. But I could never convince her, sadly. But um, I had yeah. no idea. I'm going to look at that, that woman. Up. You've been looking at that I've woman all the time. Thinking, but then that's yeah. a great example of how far can you go, isn't it? Once you've got yeah. the severed head on your what, lap. What, yeah. You've got to, what do you do with it? You've got to yeah. fart, haven't you? You've got to. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that is why I. Yeah. I actually have a newfound respect for you now, Kay. <laughs> well, people always do. It used to be when I first started writing comedy, it was like really sad for me when the the young writers, because all the writers were younger than me when I started because I'd already been an actress. And one of the first things they ever used to say to me was like, 
I've just seen that you were in the young ones. It was my favourite thing growing up. And I was like, oh, brilliant, thank you. Because then I was still under the illusion I was quite young. And uh, it was just like the, their teenage thing, which you just said, actually. It's yeah. your teenage thing, yeah. isn't it? I feel a bit starstruck at this moment, actually. I'm a bit tongue-tied. I'm glad. I've had a great... Well, I've had some great results in this podcast. I'm just quite happy. (laughs) That sound means it is time for us to put our bags on, check our underparts and pull on our helmets. Oh, God. Oh, my God. For another... So, talking about going way too far. Another flight. Yeah, we'll be back to take another plucky female pilot up up to the atmosphere, up where the air that's, is clear. That is, no, that's just Mary Poppins now. That's all that's happening. So, um, yeah. So, I'm sorry about yeah. Mary Poppins. And uh, goodbye. Yeah, go goodbye. Thank, goodbye. And thank you so much, Janice. Thank, thank you, you for so having much, me on. Janice. It's and been a delight. Absolute pleasure. Up, up and away. Yeah, pip, pip, cheerio. <laughs> <laughs> when the days are great and dreary And the nights are drawing in There's a place that's gay and cheery where they'll take you for a spin. So come on and get your trouble. Keep your eyes on the skies above. You can always have a double at the female pilot club. Why not follow us at Female Pilot Club on Twitter and Insta? The podcast was created and produced by Case Tonham and Abigail Berdez featuring resident actor Emily Chase. It was edited and technically produced by Giles Bidder, with music composed by Tim Sutton, and starred the comedy voices of Tracy Ann Oberman, Amma Chada Patel, Annabel Weir, Anna Crilly, Dan Mersch, and Robert Webb.